Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and this is VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about sound, audio and the industry around it. Today, we're taking a moment to take stock and look ahead as to what 2023 might hold for the audio and podcasting industries. To do that, I'm calling on the team here at VoiceWorks to gaze into their crystal balls and make big, bold predictions as to what the next 12 months might hold. I'll introduce you to them as we go along, but one thing I promise from today's podcast is you'll be hearing from some individuals that really know their stuff across a whole load of different areas and specialities. One prediction that I can confidently make about 2023 is that Sound Business will be continuing to bring you the best insight, news and guests from across the audio world, So make sure you're following this feed so you get notified whenever there is a new show. And don't forget to check out the back catalogue to see if there's anything else that catches your ear. But for now, let's get our mystic megs on and see what this year might hold for the podcasting and digital audio industry. We kick off this look ahead to what's coming audio-wise in 2023 with two guests. First up, Neil Sloan, who is the Group Content Director for Communicort UK and VoiceWorks, and Sophie Hind, MD for VoiceWorks, a.k.a. my boss, and thus we'll be getting all the easy questions on today's podcast. Charming. Welcome to Sound Business. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jim, and I'm glad you said that about the easy questions. Great to be here. (laughs) We're going to start with you, Neil. We're making some predictions ahead of 2023, things we think will happen, or in your case, I know it's one you'd like to see happen, maybe more than think it will happen. What was your bold prediction for the year ahead? It's more of a wish list thing uh, to happen, really, but I think the worlds of podcasts and downloads is a bit of a wild west when it comes to regulation and reporting of statistics, because you know, there is officially regulated measurement of radio listening with Rajar. TV has got Barb. The music industry has the official chart. But podcast stats, downloads, streams, whatever you want to call it, are still unverified. And kind of revealing your hand and showing your stats is you know purely voluntary. And there's no real way to verify it apart from trusting the integrity of the person who's or the organisation who's revealing the numbers. So you could claim to have X million listeners or X million downloads but have you really? And where those figures come from? And what is the sort of industry standard of measuring them over a period of time? Is that per month, per year, per week, and so on? So I think it would be absolutely fantastic to be able to have an agreed industry worldwide measurement system for podcasts in particular, I think, whereby you could actually rank and measure the success of something um, using benchmark statistics. I think that would be fantastic. I think it'd be good for the industry because a chart increases competition. It also, you know, really shows that what can be the gulf in, in numbers between something that claims to be successful and something mm. that actually is incredibly successful. So it's a big wish. I'm not sure it'll happen in the next 12 months, but I think it would be fantastic for the industry and for the consumers to be able to really transparently see and understand what's going on under the lid. I think you're right. It'd be great on all fronts from an advertiser perspective, from a creator perspective, and even from an audience perspective. That kind of transparency has got to be a good thing. What do you think has been the barrier in making it happen at the moment? Because you mentioned other measurement tools like Rajar and Barb. When you stack up podcasting against those, the potential for accurate measurement is so much greater than you get with those other mediums. So why hasn't it happened to this point? Absolutely. And, you know, the the charts 
have evolved over time with streaming and downloading, you know, included in those and, and the algorithms to make them legitimate and accurate across a week to week basis. And I think it's probably the fact that it's so easy to create a podcast and to put it into the, the ether, to put it to the world to listen to. And there are so many platforms and so many ways of doing it and so many hosts that actually trying to get everyone to sign up to something that was able to sort of submit the the verified correct data would be the barrier. So you, because you've got so many aggregators of, of the data, it's probably finding one system or, or one very, very complicated spreadsheet to try and suck it all together and then create a, you know, an official measurement, an official chart of podcasting, if you like. So it's probably that, but somebody who's a, a technical whiz will probably be able to tell me that I'm wrong. But you would think that that's probably what the barrier has been because there's just too, there's too much of it to try and pull it all together into one verifiable space. So what kind of impact do you think it would have, Neil? Should that happen? Should you get your dream scenario? What impact do you think that would have on the industry? I think you would start, to see, as, I, as I sort of touched on just then, I think you would start to see a bit of a gulf developing between sort of originated home recorded podcasts and the bigger productions, the the bigger budgets, the, the bigger celebrity podcasts that may pull in bigger numbers. And, you know, you, you could end up almost with the Premier League of, of podcasts with many others in the lower leagues trying to achieve and aspire to being in that top tier, you know. Was, again, sort of wrapped into this prediction of, you know, create our, our wish list of having a official chart and official measurement, you know, I think it's likely that in 2023 podcasts will go even more mainstream if that's possible. So can we see the biggest celebrities entering the market? So could we see Anton Deck or Phil and Holly getting involved with a t- either TV spin-off podcast mm. or original formats? Because then suddenly if they can have that ambition to be number one or to have that uh, verifiable data that shows that they are in the top 10 or whatever, because at the moment, you know, the TV ratings really fuel people's careers. If every show that Anton Deck did on TV was a flop, I'm sure we wouldn't see that much of them as we do right <laughs> now. So I think a few A-list signings could help move that needle on the perception of podcasting in the mainstream just that little bit further. One of the biggest measurements we have in terms of a podcast success at the moment is probably the the Apple charts to an extent. The Spotify charts are kind of creeping up in terms of their significance as well. But that in itself is a bit of a dark art. We know it's a combination of downloads or uptick of audience, maybe reviews play a part in that, although that's being called into question and debated recently. Could even just a little bit of transparency around how those charts work be a first step into the world of proper measurement? I think so. And I was going to jump in there as you were saying that. I was like, do we actually know how they work? No. I don't think we do. <laughs> no. So that would be a, a very strong start if someone wanted to show their hand first and say, this is how you do it. But then that kind of almost opens it up to further manipulation, which you, you don't want. You know, So maybe keeping that behind closed doors means that the podcast charts that we see are... Uh, let's just say curated perhaps mm. in a way that are designed by the, um, the the platforms that they're on. You know, when you log into Netflix now, you will see what they are telling you is the top 10 programs in the UK that day. I'm not saying whether that Netflix are, are definitely telling us that or not, but that, you know, they, they are telling us that that's what it, they are. So we have to trust Netflix as, the, as the, the, the host platform that they're telling us that these are the most popular top 10 and they're not just giving us things that they want to push to try and get views on. That would be very stunning. I agree with that point completely. I think it would be really, really helpful if there was more transparency, because particularly when you see the kind of jostle for position between Apple and Spotify, who's got more podcasts, who's got more audience and what are they 
pushing. It doesn't feel like it's close at all to any kind of industry standard, as you say. I think it's probably curated at best, but it would be good, I think, and, and more equitable for all podcasters if people understood how those charts worked. Good prediction, Neil. Well, good wish anyway. We'll wait to see whether it comes to fruition or not, because there's an element of that of podcast platforms and hosts giving away their data freely and we know how protective tech companies are of their data so we'll have to wait and see what happens in that scenario. Sophie what is your prediction for 2023? Well I have many Jim as you would probably expect. (laughs) I think I would caveat my predictions first of all by saying that podcast popularity is not slowing down at all. I think there was 424 million podcast listeners at the end of last year. So I I think my prediction this year really is the market is maturing. It's no longer an experimental medium. So it needs to become more mature. And that means many things probably, you know, not least the measurement that Neil was talking about. But I think one of the biggest things we'll see this year is advertisers taking it more seriously as a medium, which in turn leads to we need more technology development. You know, we're all from a a radio background originally. And I think that in terms of ad tech, platforms need to have the same capabilities that radio companies have for scheduling commercial inventory, because that's Mm -hmm. definitely something that is a little bit of a clunky process at the moment, should I say. Is that something that you're seeing development on already, though? Because like you say, coming from a radio background, you look at the tools you have available as a podcaster and they're incredibly limited in terms of targeting and scheduling and positioning and pretty much every aspect. When you're used to, when you run a radio station, you're used to being able to do exactly what you want where you want it. But over the last 12 months, have you seen plenty of development in that area that suggests that more change and more flexibility is coming? Certainly from our perspective with the Sports Social Podcast Network, we we definitely came at it with our, my background's TV and radio, we came at it with those kind of mindsets and a lot of the existing technology doesn't fulfil what we were used to in other mediums. So for us, it's led to us developing it further ourselves. What I, I haven't seen yet is a kind of industry standard product and that's something that I would love to see this year. Or it may be that, you know, we become that industry leader with the technology we're developing that we could then license out to others. With the advertising potential improving and the ability to track and position and target and advertisers taking the industry seriously, as you said, do you think that follows that then we'll see more and more big players from a non-advertising point of view, so brands and individuals and organisations taking the plunge into podcasting in turn because suddenly there is a very lucrative and realistic revenue stream available. Completely. I think a big area here would be influencers, you know, individuals that are very revenue and follower driven. Another prediction would be that we'll see more influencers moving into podcasting, you know, seeing how they can use it as a an unfiltered way to connect with their fans. I also think that will link into subscription models. We'll see more of that as well. But yeah, people that have relied heavily on their kind of social presence are really starting to understand the power of, you know, a 40 minute podcast and the, the fact that they can bring their their brand and their personality to life in a different way but also get a really good return on investment for that content. There's a few people who might argue that, and I don't buy into this argument, but I've certainly heard it plenty of times, that there are too many podcasts in the world already, that the 
growth is over, that if you're not podcasting now, you've missed the boat. I guess what you're saying is that we've only just begun in terms of we're only scratching the surface of what's available because there's room for all these people to enter the market and build themselves audiences. Yeah, completely. I think the growth will continue. I've no doubt the, the number of podcasts, the number of production companies and the number of listeners, you know, there's still a long way to go there. You know, one area where we see a very clear opportunity is for sport organisations and athletes. Many have dipped their toe in the water, but globally there are so many sports organisations and clubs that still rely heavily on video and digital. Digital where the the kind of ROI is is quite hard to measure, video quite expensive to produce, and they're suddenly waking up to the fact that audio is you know quick and easy to produce, but also can give them a fantastic direct-to-fan engagement channel that they're just not utilising at the moment. Why do you think rights holders in sport have been so slow? And they've probably been slower than other industries or other sectors to get involved in podcasting. If you look at the Premier League, for example, you look through the 20 teams there, every single one of them has a YouTube channel and some level of video strategy. But only very few of them have any kind of idea of what they're doing with an audio, have official podcast. Liverpool, one of the bigger clubs in the league, only launched their official podcast a couple of weeks back. Why have they been so slow to take up the opportunity? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is knowledge and expertise. So it's quite a different medium. You know, the the sort of digital teams that they have internally maybe don't have the skill sets or really understand how to create great audio but I think one of the biggest barriers they've they've had really is just time, particularly if you take the example of a, a Premier League football club, you know, with sort of 40 odd games a season plus cup runs, etc. They are so busy game to game, week to week for almost the entire year that I think having the time within their existing teams to create another content strand and think about what that might mean, I think they just haven't really applied the time or the resource to it yet and that's where obviously businesses like ours you know want to come in and help and partner with them and take that kind of heavy lifting away from them but I think it's because they're just kind of on this relentless treadmill of of pushing out content on existing channels. Certainly something I'd like to see develop in 2023. More sport content has to be a good thing. Me too. We're going to delve further in some of these areas as the podcast goes on. We're going to look at audiences, more at podcasting and revenue as well. But Neil, Sophie, thank you for your time on this episode of Sound Business. Thanks, Jim. Great to catch up as always. Thank you, Jim. We continue this episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business with a look ahead to how audience and podcasting is going to look in the 12 months ahead for 2023. To do that, I have three guests with me in the Sound Business Studio. Stefan Doyle, the head of Sports Social Podcast Network, Andrea Day, Operations Director at VoiceWorks, and Kyle Evans, who is our Director of Content at VoiceWorks. Welcome to the Crystal Ball episode of Sound Business, guys. <laughs> Thank you Hello, very everyone. much, Jim. Good Hello. to be here. Each of you has made one prediction. Well, each of you made lots of predictions for what's going to happen in 2023, but I've asked you all to limit it down to just just one big call for the year ahead. We're going to take those predictions in turn, starting with you, I think, Andrea. What is your bold call for the year ahead? That tech 
delivery of ads in podcasts is going to play an even more fundamental role in the development of what podcasting advertising looks like in terms of more dynamic insertions we're going to be you know moving to that as as a standard around the world more programmatic delivery and more customization and targeting of ads to specific network segments what kind of levels is that at the moment because for the most part if you're a listener you hear an advert you hear an advert you've got no idea whether it is programmatic you've got no idea whether it is dynamic whether it's target like i keep on hearing an advert at the moment where i live which keeps on mentioning didsbury in the advert brilliant but i've got no idea whether it is targeted to me and my location or whether it is something that is widely available and just happens to mention a place that i live near do you know what i mean so as a consumer you don't necessarily know what kind of levels those dynamic elements are at so what are we looking at at the moment on a kind of big scale in the UK, we use more dynamically inserted ads than in, in other areas around the world. Like in America, your your standard is is your baked in ad. That's what the, the industry is used to. That's what it's comfortable with. It will be based on either inserting the ad into baked in at the kind of podcaster host they they upload the audio mm. with their with their podcast that'll be based on the number of downloads that that episode receives in the UK we are much more kind of focused towards dynamic i don't know where what it what it is different between those two geographies that's caused that kind of differential between the two but we we seem to be much more embracing of the of the technology and that dynamic insertion and getting those detailed focused reports back that we just have more of it in the UK than we than we do necessarily in in other territories with that the ad that you heard if you live in Didsbury or or near Didsbury that is absolutely what we're going to see more of that ad is targeted to the fact that you are listening on an IP address which is located to be where that advertiser wants to target Mm. so we are going to see way more of that what one thing that podcast advertisers have kind of been not stuck with but is that if you have if you've baked in an ad then it will go to every single one of your downloads now if your ad, if your podcast is for a you know a football club and you're selling football boots and that might be absolutely a perfect fit but as more and more brands come on board with podcast advertising they're going to want that kind of bespoke audience segment so whether it's the geography of where a person lives if that that I don't know is it a sandwich shop or something in Didsbury? It's a not, hair salon actually. It's, a hair salon. it's the Hyundai advert. If you've heard it at any point, <laughs> <laughs> so that there's no point in in baking in that ad into a podcast which gets distributed around the world. It's only relevant to people that live in that mm. area, and we're going to see more local brands actually get to grips with the fact that yes, they can do local radio advertising if they're looking for audio advertising, but they also can do local podcasting advertising, which is kind of a whole new era. Not new, it's, it's been around for ages, but I think more and more people are going to become more familiar with it. And the only way we can do that is when the ad is dynamically inserted rather than baked in. We're no doubt going to talk about this more later in the podcast when we talk about revenue, monetization, and the commercial side of podcasting. But from your point of view, Andrea... 
What's driving this then? Is it brands that want more ability to target? Is it advertisers who want more accountability for where their ads are going? Is it technology that it's just easier to do this stuff now than it was before? It's all angles. I, I think what's, you know, the, the fact that you remember that advert because it mentions a place near to you that is quite magical. You're like, whoa. It's like, you know, you can ask for a, mm. a tune to be played on the radio and you get mentioned on the radio. You could just put it on Spotify, you know, <laughs> yourself. Yeah. And it's not as exciting. It's not as memorable. To hear your name or to hear your local area on a podcast advert, you're like, whoa, this this is for me. Mm. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to take heed of that. I'm going to be able, I'm going to recall that better and I think that more and more brands are becoming aware of how intimate podcasting advertising is, which we obviously all talk about, you know, a lot. That's that's a known thing. But the fact that you can start kind of integrating messaging around. So you're listening on your iPhone in Didsbury, then why not do this? Mm. And it's like, whoa, how do you know that about me? So some people will find that scary. Well, <laughs> and and some people will, will be like, whoa, that, that's really cool. And I want to learn that more. And, and my, my ears are more tuned into that ad that kind of scary creepy side of it is an interesting <laughs> point actually and i think opening up to the group for kyle and stefan you only have to listen back to the episode of sound business we did with steve dunlop from a million ads about the future of audio advertising you begin to realize the potential that is there for personalization it's absolutely massive but when for you does it flip between being a gimmick to something that actually has additional impact is there a balance there can you get too personal with an advert I think you definitely can. It almost feels like Big Brother is watching, doesn't it? I mean, it's like taking uh, the TV show and putting it straight into a podcast. I think there's a, a limit of personal data that it should be able to identify. I think working out what your interests are and the location of where you're based is probably the limit for me. If it's serving a purpose and not interfering with my day-to-day life, then I feel like it's done the job that it's mm-hmm. meant to do. Because ultimately, I'd rather... As somebody who doesn't live in Didsbury, I'd rather find out some about hairdressers in my area compared to it's in your area. for memory, I guess, isn't it? It's what makes that's what advertisers are always striving for. And you think back, like think back to an advert in the nineties, like the Tango Man. You know, when you've been Tango, that's something that everybody remembers because it had that kind of thing, that kind of hook, which I guess is what we're offering with that personalization. It's something that mm. triggers a memory, something that someone can latch onto. Yeah, definitely. And I think like I said the, the more you can personalise that and the more that you can get something to stick in someone's head, the better, really. Yeah, I mean, it's as we always say with content, it's benefit to the listener. And so if there's a you know a great benefit to the listener to personalise, then it'll work. I think the idea that there will be more of this coming down the pipeline is a bit of a slam dunk for 2023. So good prediction. Well done. Stefan, what's your call for the next year? Well, I think if you look online, you see that social media and uh, podcasts there are match made in heaven. And if you look more closely at YouTube, I think that's where my big prediction lies and where a lot of people in this space are predicting big things this year. I think as YouTube becomes the go-to destination for podcasts, I mean, you can even argue there are podcasts that are in massive long video forms. I think more and more high-quality shows will be born on the platform, whether that be YouTube and Google themselves investing a lot of money into it, whether that be big production houses around the world putting a lot of resource into making podcasts on YouTube a big thing and making a big splash and obviously a lot of money out of it. I'm potentially going to fall out with you on this one. So I'm going to hold my my opinions in terms of where YouTube's role is in podcasting. I'll hold back on it for now and I'll open it up and kind of ask Andrew and Carl whether you agree that YouTube has this big future in podcasting and how that benefits 
podcasters as well, which I think is maybe a more relevant part of the conversation. For me, it's all down to discoverability. 100%. YouTube is the second biggest search platform to Google. So if you go and Google something and then people will go and YouTube it. Mm. (laughs) That's becoming a thing now. I'm going to go and YouTube it. And I think that if you aren't there as a podcast, whether whether it's the entirety of your podcast, whether it's the best clips within your podcast, I, I kind of think it's probably the latter. But if it is not the latter because you haven't got enough time to go and clip loads mm. of stuff up, then the former is preferable to nothing at all. Then if you're not if you're not in YouTube, you're missing a trick. And if you're not using YouTube to forward people to your podcast content, which has got a better opportunity for you to control the monetization of it, then you you need to think about your strategy. So I think YouTube has got a massive part to play in what podcasting looks like this year. And I think whatever Google choose to do with their podcasting platform in terms of they've launched it in the US, but kind of what's going on Mm. elsewhere, I think that it will be a big player but I, I think it would just be a way of forwarding people to a podcast app. As a man who makes a lot of the content for the original content mm. for VoiceWorks, Kyle, would you agree with the sentiment that you need to have some kind of video strategy, some kind of visual element to your podcast in order to make use of the discoverability that YouTube then offers? Totally. And I was just going to say about with YouTube, is it the case that the full podcast is on there in video? I guess I guess that's what they would want. I think it will it, it will it will be down to the individual podcaster. But but with YouTube's we we don't really know what their strategy is. But they've mm. launched YouTube podcasts in the states, and that is a full length podcast. They, they are looking for people to consume full length podcasts. But I think one of the joys of podcasting is it is your second screen activity. Mm, it is yes. what you're doing while you're driving. Well, that, that's you what I was going to say. It's all because we we talk about the power of audio. Yes. And it almost seems a shame that we have to put pictures to it, yeah. doesn't it? Because it's suddenly it's a different like, thing. It's not podcasting Yeah, anymore. so I, I mean, I think it's crucial for discoverability. We were having a conversation the other day, weren't we, about you know the importance of cameras in studios and all that kind of stuff. But I still like the idea of someone walking through the city with their you know iPods, I uh, uh, ear what are they called earbuds, AirPods. AirPods. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pair. I just don't know what they're called. Um, uh, you know, and, and not needing to look at a screen and and to listen and be submersed in in that wonderful audio world. And so yeah, I think I'm somewhere halfway really on the video. Do you not think that a lot of it will come down to the the age? perhaps of the user i mean if you look at a youtube audience and the people who are using it the most it's it's more the younger end of the scale i think as production companies start to target that audience a bit more youtube becomes such a massive part of that strategy and i think what you say is important in terms of the discoverability i just feel like more companies will start seeing the numbers that you see for example in gaming on youtube and the amount of people that will just watch minecraft videos over and over again or, or fifa or call of duty like there's such a market there for it. I think if you could start crafting out podcasts, I mean, from my personal point of view, obviously sport podcasts is what I specialise in. There's such a, an opportunity there for podcasts in other areas that I think YouTube is just made for. I said, although as, as purists, we may think, oh, it's so nice to just be able to walk down the street with it in your ears. I think to not sort of appreciate that other people digest it in other ways is probably a bit of a mistake, really. I think you're bang on with the prediction that YouTube will be a major player in the podcasting world. 
my question is how much it benefits the podcasters who are using YouTube to publish their content. And we know that discoverability is a massive issue in podcasting. And as Andrea says, anything you can do to make your podcast more available is a brilliant thing. YouTube has, I think, I'm making the number up, I think it's 50 million active YouTube channels, countless more videos, but you bounce that out with the 2 billion users that visit the channel every month, and it is a behemoth. But podcasters who are putting a video or content on YouTube, they'll face even more problems with discoverability than they do just putting their podcast on a podcast app. So it's not kind of, it's not a golden solution. It's not automatically going to change the game in terms of podcast discovery. And there will be billions of listens, inverted commas, to podcasts via YouTube, but they will be spread incredibly thin between people's podcasts. So podcasters who are making content have to then balance, is the effort I'm putting into making a video version of my content worth the small amount of interaction I'm going to get off the back of that. And then you've got to bear in mind that on YouTube, a listen on average is seven seconds. In podcasting, a listen is 30 minutes. So it's kind of like it will be a big player, but how much value does that play have, I guess, is the question I'm asking. Obviously, I think, Andrew, you touched on it a minute ago about YouTube having their own podcast section within the US. I think if they want it to be a a big part of their strategy for 2023 and we all perhaps get access to that, it wouldn't surprise me if their algorithm changes slightly so when you're looking for podcasts, it starts serving you more. Mm. You've only got to look at YouTube shorts and they get pushed at you at every opportunity now on the website. If YouTube want you to watch podcasts, they're going to make sure you So there's some kind of podcast tag that feeds you the correct content. I I think so. I think that we talk about discoverability and making sure that you can still find it. If it's part of their strategy, they're, they're very good at making sure you find it. Well, you know, that's a really good question, actually. In terms of their strategy, because we don't know what it is yet. Like you say, it's launched in the US. We've not seen it over here. I think in the US, it's kind of a little bit half-assed. They've not really done a great deal yet. What do we want to see them do in terms of YouTube? If they're going to come up with a podcast strategy, what would be a great move for them to take? For me, I think if they could create a platform where you used YouTube as a hosting platform uploaded your video content and then YouTube pulled the audio content from that as an RSS and distributed it as a pure audio platform. That's Mm. then a useful use of that technology because you've got a video version, it's making it easier to pull an audio version, you've got your ad markers in place, etc. So it becomes your hosting platform. I don't think that's on their roadmap, but that would feel to me to be a good thing for YouTube to have as part of their strategy. I agree with that wholeheartedly (laughs) in in terms of what of what I think YouTube's strategy should be. But I think what is, what they will be lagging, not not that they'll be lagging behind, but their advertising strategy in terms of monetizing that those podcasts is not quite as free as what a podcast host allows you to have. So if they were still able to give the the tools to podcasters that podcast hosts give to podcasters in terms of monetization, in mm. terms of those ad-free feeds, in terms of where you put your, your your markers, that it's not just the ad serve ads that you get from YouTube and baked in stuff. That would have to be widened out so that podcasters aren't losing a lot of the tools which they're basing their monetization on. Yeah, I think you're both completely right and both have really valid points. I think what you mentioned there, Jim, about hosting technology, it makes you wonder how much capacity they have to do all these weird and wonderful things that YouTube could possibly serve for them. So I guess we'll just wait and see if it comes to fruition and how it makes it work. But I said, yeah, I just feel like they'll probably end up changing their algorithm in some way to make it serve podcast users better because if they start seeing not enough take up on it that's the only way they'll really be able to affect it is by changing their algorithm or following 
Facebook and Twitter and just losing interest in audio and just reversing out of it altogether. I mean, if you can up. predict what Twitter are going to do in 2023, <laughs> yeah. then you uh, should go buy a lottery ticket, <laughs> I think, to be honest. <laughs> right, Kyle, wrap up this section. What's your prediction for podcasting in 2023? So the one that I wrote down, which was, was publishers diversifying their slate of podcasts to drive audiences. We can't rely on uh, true crime forever. Um <laughs> And I don't think it's just about genre. I think it's about formats too. And, you know, I'd be a very rich man if I had all the answers of what's coming in <laughs> in the next year. But, you know, I think it would be very exciting to see. You know, we, we have the interview podcast, the monologue podcast. That You know, there are all kinds of formats out there. And I think, it, I think we'll see some innovative new ones. And uh, as a result of that, almost, a you know, a, a sub-point under that is therefore some more innovative ways of monetizing that, therefore. I think one of the big questions relating to that is probably, are we going to see a development in podcasting where suddenly content starts to win? Because that's where podcasts started mm. in terms of the best content rose to the top. And I think we've got to a place now with the gold rush that has seen, it's maybe more big names that attract audiences over how that content is delivered. So do you think ideas and creativity and audio talent, genuine podcasting audio talent will be given the space and the platform again? Yeah, I mean, it's about the right idea with the right format and the right person delivering the content. So, yeah, I, th I think it could go back to those days. What do you think some of those innovative formats might look like you know we've had like the clubhouse live audio and the twitter spaces live audio and stuff like that do you think some of that will become amalgamated into podcasting you know live events and what innovative formats are we, are we going to see well you think about the metaverse which i only just learned about in the last 12 months and i don't think i fully understand still but you think about the endless possibilities there and what podcasting could do in that space so if we start seeing a bit more of that i think that will bring the innovation of the formats best idea is often the one you've not had yet yeah so who knows what the future is going to ha ha yes. hold and all his best ideas he's not going to put on the podcast <laughs> is he no. not. <laughs> but if we wait here long enough then 2023 will start coming past <laughs> in terms of publishers diversifying their slate then do you think that publishers will still try and maintain a key audience focus so i look at what we do on sports social podcast network in general our audience is predominantly male focused and the nature of sport is that kind of means everything is focused towards them, advertisers are focused towards them, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think we'll see similar suppliers? So say, for example, a podcast company that is very focused on making true crime, mm. will they move their content slate to diversify but still focus on the same audience to allow cross-promotion? Or do you think it's about broadening that audience base and broadening your commercial capabilities there? Twofold. One is broadening so that you, you diversify... The, the commercial capabilities, but also, for example, I was reading recently about Netflix being far more aggressive about their watch-through rate. You know, if a series doesn't hit a 50% watch-through rate, it doesn't get a second series. And, and so I think we'll be far more aggressive about that hasn't had enough lessons, we don't do it again, and we move to a different right. format or a different genre. It's never been harder to stand out, and so therefore I think you know, to get audience and therefore revenue, I imagine the industry will get more aggressive with what it does and doesn't do. 
Do you think to flip that on its head, though, that sometimes you need to be more patient in order to grow something and give it a chance to be discovered? I mean, you talk about a gold rush and mm. how it's sometimes harder for the, the best content to rise to the top. You feel like you could be sat on an idea that mm. you absolutely believe in, but the statistics tell you otherwise. I guess it's just a, a really tricky place for content directors yeah, to at, be in and go, oh, I really back this, but the yeah, numbers aren't there. You've got to make a decision at some point. And, and actually, some of the shows that Netflix have recently dropped had bigger watching hours than some of the shows that they're keeping. But because people didn't watch to the end, therefore it doesn't get another series. I guess it comes back to, we've all got radio backgrounds, it comes back to the decision that you make in radio in that Mm. a show can sound right and it can feel right, but at the end of the day, if after a year you're not seeing your return on radar, Mm. that's it. You can it, you move on because the audience isn't there for it and thus it's not making its return. Yeah, and actually in radio, you you know, Jim, from from being on air yourself, that actually you you can make that decision in, say, a phone-in if you're, I don't know, LBC or Times Radio and you're not getting the calls in, you'll make that decision Mm. within minutes and move on to another subject. I think as well, though, that the diversification of topics of podcasts can be fuelled or supported by the programmatic and the dynamic delivery of advertising. Mm. And what I mean by that is that an advertiser purchases a segment of the audience. It, they don't purchase necessarily the inventory of the of the entire podcast. Mm. So if you want your Didsbury advert, then you don't have to come up with a Didsbury podcast to put it in that is only of interest to people of Didsbury. Sure. You yeah. can target just those Didsbury people. And that that gives you way more freedom in terms of how am I going to monetize it? If you know, if it's a conver- commercial venture, not all podcasts are. I was going to so, say we're making the assumption that people are after big audiences and money. Absolutely, which isn't you know. The case. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that is only a small segment of the podcasting market. But we don't have to have those limitations in place. Thank you very much for your thoughts and your predictions for 2023. I think the biggest lesson we'll take away is don't bother watching a Netflix series (laughs) until it gets to season three, because otherwise there's a chance you're going to be really disappointed. Uh, Thank you very much for your time on Sound Business. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. For the final section of today's Voice Works Sound Business, looking ahead to what may or may not happen in 2023, we're focused on the ka the money, the revenue, what might happen commercially across podcasting and digital audio in the year ahead. To do that, I've got the three people responsible for such things in VoiceWorks, Michael Holt, Director of Commercial Partnerships, Paul Swain, Brand Partnership Director, and Nicola Lynch, Business Development Director. Welcome to Sound Business, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jim. I'm so, so glad that you finally asked us to join this podcast, Jim. <laughs> I couldn't hold off any longer. After 12 months of doing it on my own, I had to let other people been banging on that <laughs> studio door. <laughs> it's just when you squash your face up against the window. Yeah. That's let what me it. in. Right, you've each made a prediction for 2023 as to how the commercial sector of podcasting and audio might look in the year ahead. Paul, I'm going to ask you to go first with your prediction. So, I mean, I'm going from like my side of the business and the brands that I've spoken to in the last six months, and I just feel like podcast advertising or creating their own branded content is just going to become second nature when they're planning their audio marketing strategies and commercial advertising plans. At the moment, there's 20 million people now listening to podcasts in the UK. And I'm going to be like Rain Man here now, 76% <laughs> act on a message within an episode, so it makes complete sense. 
as well as tracking and measurability becoming a lot easier to access and like obviously help and support campaigns it's giving brands more confidence in using this platform so rather than just your traditional media your tv radio press i think everyone's agenda is suddenly going to be actually it's i mean i remember the day social media was being put on people's agendas mm. marketing plans now it's actually digital audio advertising podcasts what do we need to do so you're on the ground with this already. You're talking to agencies all the time about what they're doing with their audio strategy. How has it changed over the last 12 months? Because that probably gives us an indication of how it's going to change over the next 12 months. Yeah, well, I mean, size in the marketplace because it's growing, but confidence, I think, clients and brands are excited of um, what they can do within the digital audio advertising, and on, especially with our sport podcast network and the talent that we've got on there talking about them in a natural way, an authentic way, and they can do so much more and bring their brand to life. So don't get me wrong, it's been it has been a education piece in the last twelve months where I feel like we're holding a lot of clients' hands and helping them understand why they should be doing it. But yeah, I'd say it's confidence. Yeah. I, I, and in terms of headcounts within agencies, they're really building up again in terms of audio. So that's looking across the board, but I think digital audio has really driven that. So you're going into agencies and you're speaking to heads of audio and audio teams again, which something I haven't seen for quite a while, bearing in mind mm. I've been in the industry for so long, but certainly from the days of the old days of radio, huge radio teams within agencies, which completely disbanded over the last couple of years, they're starting to grow again. So I think that bodes well for the, you know, for the, for the whole industry. There was a time where it relied on, if you were going to talk to an agency or a client, it relied on there being a podcast fan in the room yeah, yeah, for yeah. it to get over the line. Is that yeah. now less likely? Because there are still a large portion of the population. It's still over 50% that don't listen to podcasts, which still means there's a lot that do, but... I think, you know, realistically speaking, it is far easier when you start a conversation with anybody to say, do you do, listen yeah. to podcasts? And it's a very different conversation when they say, yes, I do. Because the minute that they say that, they're totally familiar with everything that you're yeah. talking about. I mean, some of the things that we're kind of very conscious of is not bombarding people with jargon, being really clear in what we're selling to them, what they're buying into. You know, there's ways around that. You can give people examples. And we've got some fantastic case studies of the work we've done over the last 18 months that can bring to life the opportunities within podcasts. But we'd be lying if we said it isn't a lot easier when you walk into a room mm. and most people are familiar with podcasts and know it. And I think definitely the proportion who say yes are much higher than they were even 12 months ago. You mentioned the word confidence a couple of times. What's driven there to be more confidence in the podcast market? I think what you just said then, Nick, is like more people are listening, talking about it. If you're not listening to podcasts, you're being asked, have you listened to it? And you, it, like, It's like when you've found like your favourite book and yourself just been reading this book and pass it on to somebody else and they read it. It's exactly the same. It's word of mouth. And now, I mean, taking one client, for example, last year, the RAF, they weren't familiar with podcasts and they had to go home and actually do a bit of research themselves and mm. speak to their own family because that was their target market that they, who they were trying just to reach. Just their family. Yeah, and he was <laughs> like, I'm going to go home and speak to my kids because they listen to podcasts. I'm not sure if this is the right platform to be on. And then they came back and said, we need to be doing podcasts. It's a world that I wasn't aware of. So, yeah, but I do, I feel like it's, the confidence is growing. Definitely. And I think that kind of probably leads on to one of my predictions, which is about the role of tracking and attribution yeah. and the importance that's going to play. Because obviously we now have tools in place to be able to measure campaigns and the, 
beauty of podcast advertising is that it's so instantaneous. We can optimise campaigns as we go along. We can test audio. We can track what's happening on the client's website and is it doing the right thing for them. Now, they might monitor them as that themselves. They might just look at what web views they're getting and the uplift that they see when they advertise with us. Or it might be a little bit more of an, an intrinsic measurement where we partner with them to put pixels on their mm. website and measure certain actions. Just to explain how that works briefly, because I think previously, probably up to this year, tracking effectiveness of podcast advertising was, like you say, it was watching your stats yeah. on a website or it was maybe using a promo code where someone went and used that on checkout to get a discount. It was it was very much finger in the air. Is this working? We're not quite sure. But I think the pixel-based tracking you just mentioned is really exciting, but something that maybe not everyone knows how it works for, on a top level. Sure. Yep. So um, essentially how that works is a client will drop pixels on their website to measure certain actions uh, and we will put a tracking link in um, the ad. So we work with a company, we partner with a company called Veritonic, but other brands are available. And some clients already have this in place across their digital channels and we can incorporate those tracking links into anything that we serve dynamically. So that can be host red ads or spot ad campaigns. Mm. And essentially, once the back end system realises the same IP address, heard the ad and performed an action on the client's website, it marries the two of those up and it gives you the information. And it's really exciting to partner with clients and to work with them to understand what success looks like mm. for them. I think mm. for us, it's a yeah. great opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, with a kind of radio background, we never got that kind of clarity of mm. what was being measured. But when we do stuff like this, we're genuinely working with them to say, like, what is the action that you want people to take? Yeah. Some of them just want people to go to their website. Some of them want them to complete a purchase. But we can measure all along that and take a look at who's heard the ad and who's performed that action which really does give a level of accountability, particularly for performance-led marketing, which a lot of the time before podcasts, I think we're a bit left out of that. They weren't part Mm. of that media mix, whereas now I think we're much more an integral part of the marketing mix as people are seeing some great results. Because you used to be able to sell and say, right, you're buying 100,000 impressions and the client would say, how successful is that that campaign? Well, we delivered 102,000 impressions. Right. And it's now actually... You've had so many people hit, heard the ad, like Nick's just said then, and then we, we know their journey and they've gone to the website, page views, and then they've gone to the cart, the shopping cart, and purchased something, and it's all down to the success metric. Of that Which campaign. I guess kind of means that opens up campaigns like brand awareness campaigns, for example, because you could run something like that and measure it rather than it being a direct call to action to buy X product. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can and you can like add brand awareness on. So you could run some research off the back of this because you can actually track who's listened to the campaign. So rather than having to kind of do your test and control, which we've had to do before in brand mm. uplift studies, you actually kind of know who's heard the yeah. ad. You can take people out. So if you had one message, you could take them out and look at the different ways they perform mm. after the ad has been aired so there's just so many exciting i think like we're only to be honest it's the tip of the iceberg with this in terms of what we can do and i think we're just going to build and learn so much and what i love as well is that it's pretty much instantaneous like within about 24 hours so you can take a look and you can see how the campaign is performing if you see a piece of creative is performing better or worse you could swap it in or out for us on the sports social podcast network if for a particular client for example rugby is performing well i can put more impressions into the rugby vertical and maybe for some reason you know football 
isn't resonate. It's not resonating with that audience. That's fine. We can swap out the copy. We can do something different. So it gives us mm. whilst fanta- the campaign's live, which is yeah, not fantastic a lot, yeah. opportunity Could to that be really dynamic. Boil down to individual titles as well. Could you kind of go? I mean, again, use the Sports Social Podcast Network as an example. You could say we've got Final Word Cricket that is performing really well, whereas X podcast isn't. So you can uptick in that direction. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, because because our host red ads are dynamic inserted. It's exactly what Nick said. You drop your link on the that host red ad, and then on the client's website, the pixels on it, and we know which how many ones. People, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's it's all very very clever. Obviously, there's a bit of administration in the background, so we probably don't want to insert two hundred different tracking links, but uh, on every show. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of things that we can do, which is is really exciting, and I think is giving people that confidence because it's a very transparent medium and you can tell immediately if things are working or if they're not and you can pivot and change and that's that's what's great because we're genuinely working with clients to achieve the results that they want to achieve. Looking ahead into 2023 I mean I think that's a really exciting development but ultimately advertising campaigns live and die on tracking and measurement. What more could be done or what would you like to see happen in the 12 months ahead that provides more clarity on who's listening well it's all about the data isn't it it's 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 the issue with the third party cookie um situation and and owning that first party data which is going to be key and knowing how and what our audience are doing and how we can serve them the ads in and and uh, report back to clients in a way that we're all, all happy with but yeah, data, as always, is the is the key scenario. So I think it is also, though, a challenge for the podcasting industry because of its background and the RSS feed and the fact that it is an open channel. And I think that's something that we kind of do have to address. That obviously limits some of the data opportunities we have. But I would hate us to limit where people can find our podcasts yeah. and where they can mm. listen and enjoy them. And obviously, there are some companies who are particularly working on shutting down and only allowing people to access podcasts on their channels. But that's definitely, I think, from a a kind of a puritanical point of view, I wouldn't like to see Mm. podcasting go down that route because I think the beauty is just that absolute, you know, kind of openness and open access. That's Mm. what podcasting is all about. It's about people just having a chat, basically, and somebody listening in. And I'd hate to lose any of that. And I think that kind of segues nicely into my prediction for 2023 in terms of discoverability and where podcasting is evolving from being a strictly audio medium into something more audiovisual. And with that, you know, if you look online, YouTube, it's, a, it's the platform, it's the second largest search platform after Google. And it's a place where more and more people are cons- not only consuming podcasts, listening to podcasts, but also that the creators are actually hosting content on there. What it does, it, it as I said, it ticks the discoverability box. It also adds another revenue stream, which they can um, include through the visual element of it. But also they can then cut down that content and share the content across the social platforms. Mm-hmm. So it then brings TikTok and so on and so forth into the game. And to add to that, there's the, the live events, the experiential, which again is another revenue stream. It brings the listener and the creator together, which I think is really important because, I, you know, you talk about loyalty to, you know, you know, we've all worked in radio in the past and we knew listeners had their favourite um, shows, but there's nothing more loyal than a listener and their and their favourite podcast. I think, you know, the fact that they're tuning in as a rule, putting some headphones on and listening to that content. So live events is a great tool. And again, mentioning, you know, Joe Marler, we went to the, the event he had down at the Clapham Ground a few months ago. He sold out within 10 minutes. 
people were traveling from all over the country to go and mm. see him and as a result of that he's got a he's got a UK tour happening this happening this year so yeah experiential opportunity for brands and an opportunity then to film that content and share that on YouTube as well i guess there's two boxes being ticked there one is the opportunity for creating a new revenue stream whether it's experiential whether it's merchandise whether it's some kind of premium paid service which brings in new revenue but also at the same time it's a way to deepen a connection with an audience yeah. because you're meeting them in a different place that isn't just their audio experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, face to face and it's like the old Radio One Roadshow, you know, mm. it's the only time you ever actually ever got an opportunity to meet people and uh, with podcasts and, and, you know, it's just a, <laughs> the 21st century version of doing that. But uh, more and more you're seeing a lot of these, um, you know, it, it started with my, you know, from, from my, from what I recall was with my dad wrote a porno. Mm-hmm. That became a yeah. stage show which they toured around the, around the world. And, you know, I think they were probably one of the first um, creators to do that. Just staying on live events for a moment, how attractive is that as a brand proposition in terms of using a live event from a podcast as kind of like an activation piece to bring your relationship between podcaster and brand to life? Absolutely. I think, you know, from a brand perspective, live events is the, it's getting in front of your, getting in front of the consumer and if it's the right targeting, hopefully either your consumer or potential consumer where, you know, you're able to interact with them face to face it's a touchy-feely platform, so you can, you know, depending on how you activate the uh, actual partners, an opportunity to sample your product. And then going back to data, it's an opportunity to then to offer incentives as a, as a tool to collect data. So it ticks many boxes from a brand's perspective. From a sales perspective, it just gives us another thing to go out and sell. So, you know, audio is fantastic, but once you overlay that with all of these different opportunities, it means we can go back with a 360 response mm. to, to brands, which will help encourage them, you know, to actually work with us and work with our creators. Yeah, our friends at Global coined a nice phrase, a talent-led collaboration. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity for this year. So just really deepening that relationship between brand and podcaster. So not just being maybe a sponsor of the podcast, but being involved in the live events, the talent creating content for your own Mm. brand channels, perhaps. You know, if it's a long-term partnership, the opportunities are fantastic. And I think this is definitely somewhere that we want to move with clients into because long-term partnerships podcasting has tended to be i'll do a four-week campaign and not really long term and we definitely want to move people more in a long-term direction so we can develop really deep connections with them and the podcasters and the talent and that would allow us to do some really exciting things like you could do ticket giveaways to the events on your brand channels you could you know there's just so many Mm -hmm. elements that we we could have a dedicated feature within the podcast that worked with the brand Mm. it's all about aligning obviously the right brand the right podcast and the right audience and once you get the three of them together that's like the magic happens there and i guess that takes us back full circle to the idea of being able to prove results and the confidence that brings because you're not going to get brands committing to big long integrated campaigns unless they know it's going to work or they're able to see those results yep yeah Future's looking bright and exciting 2023 ahead. Nicola, Paul, Michael, thanks for your time on Sound Business. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then take a look through the back catalogue and see what other topics might spark your interest. There's plenty more to come from this podcast in 2023 too. So do follow the show in your favourite podcasting app. If you want to chat to any of the VoiceWorks team about their predictions or make predictions of your own, then you can find us all on LinkedIn. The 
Links to their profiles are in the podcast description. And as always, if you want to discuss your audio strategy, we'd love to chat. Find VoiceWorks via the website, voiceworks.ai. Thank you.